This is The Church is the World, Chapter 1, Episode 5, the second episode on the history of the New Revised Standard Version. Last week, we covered the history of the English Revised Version, the American Standard Version, and part of the Revised Standard Version. This week, I'll wrap up the Revised Standard and then the New Revised Standard Versions. So to pick up where I left off, we were in the middle of the history of the Revised Standard Version. In it, there were three notable alterations between the King James Version, the English Revised Version, the American Standard Version, and the Revised Standard Version. The first alteration was that the translators reverted to the King James Version and the English Revised Version practice of translating the Tetragrammaton, also known as the Divine Name, Yahweh. In fact, the King James Version had used this in four places, but everywhere else, except in three cases where it was employed as part of a proper name, used the English word Lord, or in some cases God, printed in capital letters. The American Standard Version had translated it Jehovah. In keeping with the 1611 and 1885 versions, the translators translated it as Lord or God. The Revised Standard Version was consistent with the King James Version that followed the precedent of ancient Greek and Latin translators, as well as the long-established practice of reading the Hebrew Scriptures in synagogue. It is almost certain that the name was originally pronounced Yahweh, but this pronunciation was not quite clear when the Masorites added vowels to the Hebrew text. To the four consonants Y-H-W-H of the name, which the Masorites regarded as being too sacred to be pronounced, they attached vowels indicated that in its place should be read the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning Lord, or Elohim, meaning God. Then the ancient Greek translators used the word Kiros, which means Lord, for the divine name, and the Vulgate, which we'll cover later, used the Latin word Dominus. The word Jehovah is of late medieval origin. It is a combination of the consonants of the divine name and the vowels attached to it by the Masorites. The sound of Y is denoted by J and the sound of W by V as it is in Latin. The Revised Standard Version Translation Committee returned to the more familiar usage of the King James Version for two specific reasons. First, the word Jehovah was never used in Hebrew. Second, the giving of any proper name to the one and only God was supposed to lead some to believe that there were other gods for whom he had to be distinguished. It was ended in Judaism before the Christian era and was entirely unnecessary in Christianity. That is, of course, if you assume the words Lord and God are not names, but instead titles. Okay, I'm going to step up on my soapbox for a bit. A minute ago, I used the word tetragrammaton. In my personal opinion, is that when someone creates a word like tetragrammaton, it's at least partially to make themselves seem better and smarter than others. The people that later choose to repeat the word are almost as guilty of the same infraction. But an unintended consequence is that it also serves to separate the word from the masses. And by word, I don't mean the word that they created. The word is the word of God. You know, the word of the tetragrammaton. Many people would hear the word, not understand it, and move on, and possibly move away. The word was, once again in my opinion, meant to be inclusive, not exclusive. Therefore, as an editorial note, when I happen across words such as these, I will define it, maybe even multiple times, but then try to use it rarely, if ever. Okay, I'm stepping down from that soapbox, at least for now, and back to the differences. Second, a change was made in the usage of Old English for second-person pronouns such as thou, thee, thy, 
and verb forms such as art, hast, hadst, didst, and so on. The King James Version, the English Revised Version, and the American Standard Version use these terms in addressing both God and people. The Revised Standard Version used archaic English pronouns and verbs only for addressing God, a rather common practice for translations until the 1970s. Third, for the New Testament, the Revised Standard Version followed the latest available version of Nestle's Greek text, whereas the English Revised Version and the American Standard Version used the Westcott or Hort Greek text, and the King James Version used the Textus Receptus. Not to forget, in the book of Isaiah, they occasionally followed readings found in the newly discovered Dead Sea Scrolls. Similar to the other versions, the translation panel used the traditional Hebrew Masoretic text for the Old Testament. Following much scrutiny and approximately 80 changes to the New Testament text, the first edition of the New Testament was published in 1946. The Old Testament, and therefore the full Protestant Bible, was published in 1952 on St. Jerome's Day. In later episodes, we'll find out why they wished to honor Jerome. The very first copy was presented to U.S. President Harry S. Truman on September 26th, four days before it was released to the public. The Apocrypha was published in 1957, the Catholic edition New Testament was published in 1965, with the entire Bible published the next year. A second edition of the New Testament was published in 1971, and an expanded edition of the Apocrypha was published in 1977. In addition, the Revised Standard Version served as the basis for two additional revisions. The New Revised Standard Version, published in 1989, and the English Standard Version, published in 2001. The translation was not without its own controversy, though. Specifically, many times in the book of Isaiah, where the word virgin appeared in earlier translations, it was replaced with the phrase, young woman. Also, there were translation differences in the Psalms and Genesis. These controversies served to fuel the burgeoning King James-only movement but they also are a bit too deep for this initial podcast and will be covered in the future. In 1957, the Episcopal Church in the U.S. asked that the Deuterocanical books, there's another one of those words, commonly referred to as the Apocrypha by most Protestants, be added to the Revised Standard Version. There was no American Standard Version of the Apocrypha, so the Revised Standard Version of the Apocrypha was a revision of the Revised Version Apocrypha of 1894, and also the King James Version. The organization also desired to make the Revised Standard Version acceptable to Eastern Orthodox churches, so an expanded edition of the Apocrypha containing 3rd and 4th Maccabees in Psalm 151 was released in 1977. This edition included the adjustment of archaic pronouns and verbs, including those used in the place of Lord and God. This was a change from the earlier Revised Standard Version that included the archaic for God. In 1971, the Revised Standard Version was re-released with a second edition of the New Testament. This edition was based on a thorough editing of the previous editions and used Greek manuscripts not available to the original Revised Standard Version translations panel. Specifically, the Bodmer Papyra published between 1956 and 1961. The most evident changes included the reincorporation of Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 20 and John 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11, where Jesus forgives an adulteress. In the 1946 translation, these two sections were in the footnotes. 
Also reinserted was Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, covering the majority of Jesus' creation of the Lord's Supper. In the 1946 text, this section ended with the phrase, This is my body, and the balance was found in the footnotes. The earlier version was due to the verse not being found in the original manuscript used by the translation committee. Numerous other sections were rephrased or rewritten for increased clarity and accuracy, and these too will be covered in later episodes. For the first time, even the Roman Catholic Church adopted the Revised Standard Version in 1966 to be used with the addition of the Apocrypha, the books of the Old Testament designated by the Catholic Church as being worthy to be read. When the Catholic Church adopted the Revised Standard Version, it was granted permission from the National Council of Churches of Christ in the U.S., the holder of the copyrights of this version, to include its own explanatory notes in an appendix. After the revision of the New Testament, the Standard Bible Committee intended to prepare a second edition of the Old Testament, but those plans were abandoned in 1974 when the National Council of Churches voted to authorize a full revision of the Revised Standard Version. And all of this lineage leads us to the New Revised Standard Version, the version that I will most refer to. The New Revised Standard Version is the official revision of the Revised Standard Version. In 1974, owing partly to the fact that the Revised Standard Version was completed before the Dead Sea Scrolls were available to scholars, the National Council of Churches, the holders of the copyright of the Revised Standard Version, authorized a more complete revision to it. Also, in doing so, they intended the version to take advantage of other manuscript discoveries and to reflect advances in linguistic scholarship. The version was translated by the Division of Christian Education, currently referred to as Bible Translation and Utilization, of the National Council of Churches. The Revised Standard Version Translation Committee consisted of 30 men and women who were among the top biblical scholars in the U.S. at that time. They were from Protestant denominations, the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, and included several women and also a Jewish scholar. It incorporated four major changes to the Revised Standard Version. First, there was an updating of the language of the Revised Standard Version. Specifically, the Revised Standard Version retained the archaic second-person familiar forms, such as the words thee and thou, when God was addressed, but eliminated their use in other contexts. The New Revised Standard Version eliminated all such archaisms. In an included essay to readers, the Translation Committee said that, and this is a quote, Although some readers may regret this change, it should be pointed out that in the original languages, neither the Old Testament nor the New makes any linguistic distinction between addressing a human being and addressing the deity. Also, words whose meanings had changed significantly since the Revised Standard Version were adjusted. One of the more entertaining examples is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12, no longer stated that Paul was stoned once. And that may come as a disappointment to people in Oregon and Colorado. Second, the committee sought to make the translation more accurately reflect the words in the original Hebrew and Greek text. Remember that this version is a word-for-word -word translation. Third, they worked so that the version could be more easily understood, especially when it was read aloud. And fourth, clarifying where the original text intended to include all humans, both male and female, and where they intend to refer only to the male or the female gender. Specifically, the decision to translate some gender-specific words using more gender-neutral wording 
and places where gender was not seen to be an issue, such as using the word people in the place of mankind. The goal of the translators was to be, and I'm quoting from the preface of the version, sensitive to the danger of linguistic sexism arising from the inherent bias of the English language towards a masculine gender, end quote. The version also sought to expand gender-specific phrases such as brothers into brothers and sisters. Despite the intentions of the translators to clarify, the issue of gendered language has proven to be quite contentious. And honestly, anytime someone seeks to clarify, especially something as old as the base text, the clarification is open to interpretation and subject to the individual's own biases. It was the first major version to use gender-neutral language and thus drew more criticism and ire from conservative Christians than did its 1952 predecessor. This criticism largely stemmed from concerns that the modified language obscured phrases in the Old Testament that could be interpreted as messianic, referring to the prophecy of the coming Messiah. In the preface to the version, Bruce Metzger wrote for a committee that, and this is another quote, many in the churches have become sensitive to the danger of linguistic sexism arising from the inherent bias of the English language towards the masculine gender, a bias that in the case of the Bible has often restricted or obscured the meaning of the original text, end quote. The Revised Standard Version observed the older convention of using masculine nouns in a gender-neutral sense, such as the word man instead of person, and in some cases utilized a masculine word where the source language used a neuter word. Let me restate that for emphasis. The older versions used a masculine word where the source version used a neuter word. The New Revised Standard Version was getting the words back closer to the source. However, the New Revised Standard Version utilized a policy of inclusiveness in gendered language. According to Metzger, quoting once more, the mandates from the division specified that, in references to men and women, masculine-oriented language should be eliminated as far as this can be done without altering passages that reflect the historical situation of ancient patriarchal culture, end quote. The New Revised Standard Version is different from many other modern translation in that it is as literal as possible in adhering to the ancient text while also being as free as necessary to make the meaning clear in graceful, understandable English. However, I recognize that the two phrases, as literal as possible and as free as necessary, are subject to the judgment of both the translator and the reader, as well as the critic. There is no right answer, and each is restrained by their own beliefs, biases, and the emotional connection to the version they hold most dear. But there will be more on this later. Also, the versions draw on sources that became available after other translations and serve to increase the understanding of previously obscured Bible passages. These sources include modernly uncovered manuscripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, other texts, archaeological finds, and also more modern understandings of ancient Greek and Hebrew grammar. When it was published, the Revised Standard Version was the only major translation in English that included both the traditional Protestant books as well as the books that were traditionally used by the Roman Catholic and Orthodox Christians, known commonly as the Apocryphal or Deuterocanical books. In keeping with this standard, the New Revised Standard Version was published in three formats, a standard edition without the Apocrypha, a Roman Catholic edition, which has the Apocryphal books in the Roman Catholic Canonical Order, specifically the Order of the Latin Vulgate, and the Common Bible, which included all the books that belonged to the Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Orthodox canons. 
There are also anglicized editions in the new Revised Standard Version, which modified the text slightly to be consistent with British spelling and grammar. The new Revised Standard Version is different from many other modern translations available today as the Bible translation that is most widely approved by the churches. Specifically, it received the endorsement of 33 Protestant churches, an official endorsement of the American and Canadian Conferences of Catholic Bishops, and the blessing of a leader of the Greek Orthodox Church, but not from the Greek Orthodox Church as a whole. Many of the older leading Protestant churches officially approved the version for both private and public use. Specifically, it is approved by the Episcopal Church for church services. It is also widely used by the United Methodist Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Disciples of Christ, the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ, the Reformed Church in America, and the United Church of Canada. The Catholic version has been approved by both the United States and Canadian conferences of Catholic bishops for use by Catholics privately in study and devotional reading. For public worship, such as at weekly Mass, most Catholic bishops' conferences in English-speaking countries require the use of other translations, either the adapted New American Bible in the dioceses of the United States and Philippines, or the Jerusalem Bible in most of the rest of the English-speaking world. However, the Canadian Conference and the Vatican approve a modification of the New Revised Standard Version for lectionary use in 2008, and an adapted version is also under consideration for approval in Great Britain. The version, along with the Revised Standard Version, is one of the texts adapted and quoted in the English-language edition of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In 1990, a synod of the Eastern Orthodox Church in America decided not to permit the use of the version in the liturgy or in Bible studies on the grounds that it is highly, quote, divergent from the Holy Scriptures traditionally read aloud in the sacred services of the Church, end quote. However, some of the most conservative and evangelical Christian denominations refused to utilize the version due to its gender-inclusive language and since it was published with a Catholic edition. A less controversial factor that somewhat limited its adoption was that many considered the version not to have as free-flowing and natural-sounding English as was possible. So that's the history of the English Revised Version, the American Standard Version, the Revised Standard Version, and of course, the New Revised Standard Version. I realize that's a great deal of versions that led to the one I'm using, but I think it was all necessary to understand how it came to be. I went searching for a trivial story to wrap up this episode, similar to the debunked theory that Shakespeare contributed to the King James Version, but none was to be found. I thought that I could make up something, such as that Steven Spielberg was the Jewish scholar, or that George Lucas left mid-translation to work on some unknown script, but I decided against that too. Instead, I'll leave you with this. Remember that when it was first published, the King James Version was neither well-received nor free of criticism. Nonetheless, it has sustained itself through time and is still highly regarded today, despite its defects, which were noted more clearly in the mid-19th century and even more so today. And, as was mentioned in previous episodes, the very groups of people, specifically members of traditional Protestant churches, who condemned the King James Version when it was first published, are the ones today who hold it up as the most accurate version available. So that's the episode for this week. Join me next week when we'll dive into the New International Version. As I mentioned last week, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at thechurchestheworld.com. 
comments, questions, and essentially any correspondence can be sent to comments at thechurchestheworld.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase The Church is the World as four separate words. Thanks for listening and have a great week.